1: Before we start this week's episode, my usual reminder to buy my book, Sort Your Head Out, Mental Health Without All the Bollocks. It's part memoir, part self-help. It's a bit of fun. It's hopefully useful. It went bestseller on Amazon in its first weekend. But come on, let's keep it going. You can get it off Amazon or you can get a signed copy from me if you contact my local bookshop, barnesbookshop.com. They'll sort you out. Anyway, on with the show. Hello and welcome to The Reset, a mental health podcast without all the bollocks. I'm Sam Delaney. My guest this week is the psychotherapist Melissa Day. Melissa is a specialist in men's mental health and is one of the experts involved in the Suffolk-based men's retreat Celebrating Strength. I was interested in her professional point of view on what makes men's perspectives on mental health so different to women's. She also specialises in something called Inner Child Therapy. Do our childhoods really dictate so much about the way we think and feel throughout the rest of our lives? Melissa thinks so. I was keen to ask her why. We also speak in this conversation about issues surrounding suicide and how to look out for friends who you suspect might be considering taking their own lives. It's interesting and useful stuff, but just a heads up, if you find that sort of subject difficult, then maybe give the second half of this episode a miss. Anyway, I hope you enjoy listening to our chat. Melissa welcome to The Reset.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: It's a real pleasure to have you here. Um, Melissa I haven't had many professional uh, therapists on, on this show and I know that some of our listeners are still you know some blokes in particular can still be a little bit sceptical or a bit nervous and they have like one idea of what being in therapy might be like. So you're an integrative correct me if I'm wrong integrative and preventative medicine practitioner professional specializing in inner child therapy there's a lot yeah. of different types of therapists out there a lot of people who haven't been to therapy don't understand this they think it's all Sigmund Freud lying you on a couch asking you about your mum that's not true tell us about your areas of specialism what what though what those terms mean
2: yeah so so i'll break so if i break it up so the preventative part is so i have a background in acupuncture so my always my whole approach to anything has been okay what can we put in place to prevent something happening not looking at it when it's at the crisis point let's put in some steps beforehand beforehand let's figure out ways that we can manage certain things and um and clear and heal certain things rather than it manifesting into something that you you just feel overwhelmed with um and then the integrative part is really i guess that really more so links to my inner child therapy so with inner child therapy what i'm looking to do is integrate those parts of ourselves that we kind of perhaps reject and deny and disown um and but you know the more you go through life and do that the more those issues and problems expand and 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 they kind of every which way you turn they're there so instead of doing that i look to find ways to actually integrate that back to to enable somebody to become whole again so to speak so relating it to child therapy what i'm looking to do is actually um approach the therapy in a way that we pinpoint where exactly something's come from so usually patterns of behavior and thought patterns all stem from something in childhood so it's like figuring out where those are and then going through a process where you actually learn to reparent yourself it's a really powerful process Mm. but it's um incredibly empowering and um, and it can totally shift people's lives um, around which is fantastic
1: um, You specialise also in men and men's mental health don't you? I do um, Do you find that men are more resistant to some of this stuff when they first come to see you than women? Is there a big difference?
2: I mean what I would say is the difference between men and women. Um, So from from a female perspective, um, you, you, you kind of find that, you know, throughout time, women have sort of been denied, um, perhaps basic protection and uh, and pathways to expression so in terms of women when I'm when I'm dealing with women what I've noticed is that they that actually speaking is an issue actually using their voice is an issue they, they kind of have a lot of blockages around their throat and so it's um it it it's a very gradual process when you're working with women. Mm. Um, And then with men, I'd say, um, again, throughout sort of time, uh, men have sort of been denied the access to sort of um, a tender and receptive way of being.
0: Mm. Um,
2: But what I find is that... in terms of where where the kind of blockage with men is is usually the heart the heart space and it's it's from my experience it's not that men don't want to talk and they it's not that they don't want to share it's it's about safety more than anything um and i think you know when men haven't had a template in which to stand upon to know how to be tender or or, or show a receptive side, they go into this default kind of patterning of of survival. And, um, you you know, that's how men have sort of gone through life. You know, they've either, either been sort of on the battlefield um, fighting or protecting. And um, and then if you move that into modern day life, it could be seen as sort of, you know, if if they're having to be vigilant on the battlefield, then they're, they're having to do the same in the competitive marketplace. And it's like this never-ending kind of, um, sh- you know, shield is up mm. to, to, to kind of like you're always kind of on the lookout for enemies, uh, you know, to take Mm. you down. And so shifting from that space of, okay, I can stop. I can pause. This feels safe. I can trust this person. I don't feel judged. Then the barriers come down and, in my experience, men want to share.
1: Mm. Mm. It, you, you speak a lot to to me and definitely, you know, my experiences um, of, you know, in the past, finding it difficult to open up, show vulnerability. And it's interesting the reasons you suggested that, like, you know, some of them are sort of deep-rooted probably genetically in in me. Yeah. I, going going back, though, to like, you know, you saying that you're um, – Into sort of trying to be preventative and I think that's fantastic but because of the way that I and other blokes can be resistant to the idea of showing vulnerability and and to be honest seeking help from a therapist is is a big step it's like you know it you have to be very vulnerable so I think that I ended up in in therapy only out of sheer desperation and every day now I think If only I'd been doing that years before I developed any serious problems. If only I'd sort of been able to speak to someone who'd been able to show me how to unpick some of my feelings and thought patterns when I was younger. But the the problem is crisis got me into it. Only crisis. And that's a real shame. And I wonder what the challenge is for you in terms of like very often, it's only when people hit a state of desperation that they seek help. Whereas I agree with you it would be lovely if everyone was seeking this sort of help, whether they had a problem or not, right from an early age. So, you know, how do we square that circle?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's interesting because everything is interlinked. So, you know, our mental, emotional, spiritual and physical health. So even if somebody has cancer, there'll be, a, you know, an emotional aspect to it and but what i find is people will come at that very point of crisis (laughs) even if they they know that they you know they've they've been diagnosed a year before they they will come to me a year after when they're they're in that actual point of crisis um so yeah i i can because obviously you've now seen the benefits of going through therapy and you know you're but i think you know, but I think there may be a lot of. It's down to people's perceptions as well, isn't it, of what therapy means? Um, you know, am I labelled as something, or will people label me as something if I go to some a therapist? Or, you know, it is vulnerable if you go to sort of like, I don't know, you might perceive a a psychologist as somebody that could. You know, are they kind of working me out? Are they assessing me? Are they pulling me apart? Mm -hmm. I'm feeling vulnerable right now. You know, Mm. it's a vulnerable thing. And so what I would say is that it is a process of actually finding the right person as well that you gel with because you could you know it's like with anyone in life you can meet a lot of people and you you can resonate with some and and instantly feel like okay i don't really have a connection with that person mm. it's the same with a therapist so it's um it it it's about i think allowing yourself to have a little bit of exploration in terms of figuring out who you feel will work well with you
1: mm. Mm. I totally agree I totally agree I mean I've seen one or two therapists before the one that I'm I'm with now and a lot of it is just personality no different to how you would you know you need to click with a friend or a colleague very often it, it just seems like that and you feel kind of secure and seen and understood and all of those things I'm gonna you know just tell you things that that some guys say to me though because I you know, I very often, I'm banging the drum for people in your profession a lot because I'm saying, you know, well, I say a lot of things about why it helps, but I make it very clear that it's helped me a huge amount. And speaking to a guy who's about sort of maybe 10, 15 years older than me recently about childhood trauma that he went through, very real trauma, and, uh, you know, he's talking to me about what he t- what he's trying to deal with these days in his feelings And I said to him, have you ever gone to speak to someone about this? And he went, there's no point. And I said, why? And he said, because there's no one's going to be able to tell me the answer that I don't already know. I know this happened to me when I was a kid. So I know that's why I'm depressed now. That's it. Why do I need to pay someone to work that out? And I tried to say, I don't think you're paying someone to work it out for you. I don't think you're paying someone to come up with an answer that's like some sort of magic solution to all your problems. It's it's a little bit more nuanced than that. Um but of course listen I don't I'm not in in your profession. I was talking from my own personal experience, but I'm putting it to you Melissa because I do think that amongst a lot of guys I know that's a, that's one of the big misconceptions is that they they think that a therapist offers some sort of transaction whereby you tell them about yourself and they give you a solution that's not quite the case is it
2: yeah and actually i i actually don't give advice mm.
1: um
2: it's it's actually about self exploration i'm the facilitator of that so i'm holding the space in which that person can can do that um however what i do do is i take people back to specific well they take themselves back to specific childhood experiences that match the um discomfort they they feel now whether they can you know you can you can even feel on your body where you feel discomfort when you're talking about something so then you then what i do is i take they they go to the earliest memory of when that happened and we go through this this very quick technique of um transmuting that from a negative to a positive it's done through inner child therapy where you reparent yourself um but in doing that it frees you it frees you from those emotional and behavioral patterns um because you've addressed it it's not that thing that's just walking beside you you've you've actually integrated it back so that's the difference it's not just sort of identifying where problems are it's actually going through a process of healing and transmuting and clearing them from your system so that you can actually progress into life um in a more so that you can live in a more fulfilled way so that you um rem- remove any sort of contradiction or internal war or tug of war or conflict within mm. you mm. and um, and by doing that you'll be able to actually express yourself more authentically mm.
1: yeah i mean that that's that's it isn't it you mentioned you said three words earlier that really like um that really resonated with me, you reject, deny, and disown some of your feelings and experiences. And yeah. uh, I, I think as I've got older and worked on this stuff, I've realised that, like, that's the truth, is that you end up creating an identity for yourself when you're a young man is, is really complicated. And often, you know, I think a lot of men develop three or four different ones depending on the situation. So you might have a certain group of pals you are jack the lad with, or you might behave much more sober and and sort of um, try to act smart sober and articulate in a work setting then you might have a different way you behave in front of your family or in front of your parents or what have you and it can get very confusing but one thing that I think I always used to do was really kind of dismiss and belittle any of the little things that had happened to me along the way especially when I was young that made me feel miserable or sad Uh, largely because I sort of told myself listen I'm a You know, it's like I'm a white, middle-aged, middle class bloke living in a in a big city with an all right career, a wife and two kids. What on earth could I possibly have to justify feeling the way I do? What on earth could I ever say happened to me? I've not been the victim of abuse or, or any other sort of significant trauma. Um and it took me a long, long time to understand that any of the the little bits and bobs that had happened to me when I was younger that had caused me pain or upset or shame were, you know, they were still living inside of me and festering and fermenting and shaping the way I saw myself and the way that I behaved. Because as you put it, I'd rejected, denied and disowned them. Why? Why do I reject? So I'm not asking you for free therapy here, but I'm, I'm trying to like, you know, sort of communicate to other people who I think relate to this stuff, you know, like, Blokes do go around denying huge sight of themselves. Is that do you think because of society, because of the culture we grow up in?
2: So, so when we, when we, um, when we are children, and uh, okay, when we're babies, um, our instinct we know that the most important thing to create is closeness above anything else, because our survival depends on it. So, you know, we, you can't put a baby out on the, on the pavement because it would, it would die. So it needs to be fed and watered or whatever by, by a parent or caregiver. So our main, um, the most important thing is how do we establish closeness or how do we reestablish closeness? and what can happen is if a, an aspect of you as how you present yourself is perhaps rejected by a parent for example um i don't know maybe maybe anger could be something that you you showed that anger towards something which you know um there could have been extremely good causes for
0: Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
2: When you experience that, it's it, you know, you know, um, you know. If you're in a playground at school and there's three friends, and one of them comes up to the other and whispers in the other one's ear and goes, "Oh, do you know?" such and such, they're not really very good people. You know, you should come and hang around with me. Mm. And it's tri- it's called triangulation. So that the person that's whispered in the ear, they want to maintain closeness with the other because they see the other person as a threat to their friendship. Yeah. So what we're doing inside, we're actually doing that internally. It's like an internal triangulation where mm. we're pushing away aspects of ourselves that we've clocked on um, are being rejected by somebody else. Mm. So, what we can do is throughout childhood and throughout life, we can keep denying all these different aspects of ourselves and we start presenting a self that isn't actually who we are. It's not authentic to who we are. And we kind mm. of lose sight of who we are. Yeah. Uh, because we've kind of developed something to, to, gain a sense of approval and so that's where it can come from from coming from a place of feeling shame actually and and you 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 just want to you want to be accepted you it's a way to not be abandoned ultimately
1: Mm, that's so true I mean and, and and you know in terms of of blokes a lot of the time I'm listening to you talking I'm thinking yeah I mean if you if you're in with a bunch of lads in the playground or wherever, and you want to be one of them, and everyone's funny and everyone's mucking around, but there's a sort of a, a brutality to it a little bit. The last thing you want to show is sensitivity, vulnerability. Um, you, you just you just want to be one of the lads, and and being that character means that you have to reject a huge amount of yourself really, in order to feel like you're not going to get rejected. And uh, and it kind of works when you hide those sides of yourself. It, it works because you're, you are more accepted and people might even, the louder and more confident and less sensitive you are, perhaps more people will, will respect you for it. But those chickens do come home to roost eventually because you can't stop feelings. You can't stop feeling hurt by things that people say or do to you. You can only pretend, but the hurt, still stays there is this why you know i want to talk to you um a bit about the men's retreat you do because obviously this is like a bunch of stuff that all surrounds guys who who, you know the majority of my listenership is men and uh, we all struggle with this stuff and we know there's a mental health crisis particularly amongst kind of middle aged men in this country um so how does the men's retreat that you're involved with address these problems
2: yeah, because it's very interesting because you said about the, that age group that mm. that where there's a real yeah, and and you know, suicide is actually very um that is the group that is most vulnerable to suicide. Yeah. Um
1: so it's the biggest killer of men under the age of forty five, is that right? I think that's right.
2: I'm not a hundred percent sure, but um it's it's certainly something that is on the increase yeah so um yeah and uh yeah i i really wanted to create a safe space so i wanted to so i didn't want to just hire a venue where there were other guests there and they could oversee what was going on um i wanted a venue that was totally um isolated so I've got this lovely venue in Suffolk where it, we've got exclusive use of the entire building and it's for 26 uh, guests. And I wanted there to be a sense of kind of brotherhood formed. So there's time to actually talk to one another and hear stories because I think stories, first hand stories are powerful and they, they open up dialogue And then you realize, oh, my gosh, I'm not the only one going through this. (laughs) I'm not completely on my own. I'm not completely isolated in this. I'm not crazy, you know, for having these feelings. Um, And uh, ultimately, I wanted to help teach techniques uh, to help you deal with everyday life, like a mental health toolkit, so to speak. Mm So my background, yes, I have kind of um, um, the the therapy side, but I also have quite a spiritual side. So I was going to do a lot of healings, um, but also have uh, a a business psychologist there who's going to do uh, sort of workshops around strengths. So it's really looking at your strengths and showing, you know, empowering people and. Other things will be taking place. Um, be, you know, gorgeous food from you know, Royal Household and Celebrity Chef. And so it'd be really great food. And then, there's a, you know, there's a swimming pool and tennis court. So it's time to relax and p- be playful. And I just wanted a space where men could just be. And mm. I think that that is so needed right now, Um and so that's what, you know, I, I want to create, really.
1: It sounds fantastic. So that's, where well, can people find out more. We might as well plug it while we're on the subject. <laughs> um, or oh, unless you're yeah. sold out. If there's only 26 places.
2: Well, it's actually um, taking place in the spring next year. Okay. So, so yes, I, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's 26 places. And, yeah, my website is, niroshini which is n-i-r-o-s-h-i-n-i then dash acupuncture.com
1: okay well i'll share that in the blurb underneath um that goes out underneath this podcast and i'll share the links through my socials as well if you want to find out more because it does sound fantastic i mean i've seen something that you've done recently on kind of looking out for your friends and you know certainly the signs of of suicide it's, it's a subject that we that comes up a lot on this podcast and in my newsletter because you know it's such a big deal amongst men in the UK and so often tragically you hear the same story of this is something that came out of the blue the loved ones who are left behind saying this is something that came out of the blue there were no warning signs and people are very filled filled with guilt over that because they think had only I known this person was going through it. But um, I've seen some of the stuff you said about that. And and it's interesting because it's very often people who take their own lives don't do it spontaneously or on a whim. It's been planned. And when they are in the process of planning it, they're good at disguising it. Um, I think that's right. But you can tell me more and tell me more about the signs that perhaps people can look out for, for people they might be worried about
2: yeah so it's interesting you say about you know people thinking um it's, it's very common for people to say oh it just it did it came out of the blue you know friends and family work colleagues you know I had no idea um but when somebody's in this stage of, of planning um how they are going to take their own life a huge amount of Energy goes into executing it, mm. um, and, and executing the planning of it, and so there's there's moments where people would dip, and they'll get to their lowest points, mm. where they, where they are, they feel so isolated and detached from everything and everyone around them, and they can go through thought process of Processes of feeling that they that they're not they have no worth and they have no mm. value and they're not adding any value to anyone and mm. they don't really know what their purpose is here or, or, or what their contribution is here and 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 then there will be there will be a then there will be a higher moment where they'll think well actually I can figure a way out of all of this. And 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 this is where people um, will then dip, and then you know, and it will it will be a process where they'll dip and go high. But the high, the highest point will be when they feel that they've got everything lined up and in place, and they might come across as being really happy, and really calm, and even euphoric and that's because they feel that they have found a way to escape from their pain and they and so they will come across as if they're doing a really good thing and because that's how they feel inside so so what i would say is sort of look out for the change because nothing no emotion can sort of be disqualified from somebody who has thoughts of suicide it's really sort of looking out for those shifts in patterns of change i mean you might have somebody that was the life of the party um and and you know again when somebody's going through suicidal thoughts that can take away quite a big core aspect of us so if someone was the life of the party mm. they might actually become quite withdrawn uh, and you might not really be able to contact them through normal means, or they might become just quite quiet and um, calm and relaxed. And even though some of those traits might seem, you know, quite positive if you're relaxed, and they, they could be signs or an indicator that somebody could be in the motions of kind of actioning their plans. So it's just. Right important to check in and have meaningful conversations with people
1: how do you go about that as a mate if you spot something or you're worried yeah how, how can you go about that as a mate what tips have you got
2: i mean it you know it could be something you know Say 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 you've gone into your friend's house and you see lots of empty bottles lying around. Um, mm. They've got, they haven't been to bed. You can see that they've sort of got a blanket just on the on the sofa, and they might not have anything in the fridge. Um, you can sort of see that they're not really taking care of themselves. You could simply say. Um, You know, people um, who have have taken their own lives by suicide have been, you know, have been shown to sort of not start caring about themselves and and have become isolated. Are you thinking about suicide? Mm -hmm. And it can be as simple as that. But, you know, it can be, it can, can can sound quite daunting to say something like that. But people who are not thinking about suicide um, don't get offended by that. They'll be, well, no, you know, no, that's mm-hmm. not, you know, that's not, that's not it. Um, you know, I'm just feeling a bit down at the moment. And But if somebody is thinking about it, wow, you've actually, you've actually opened up a line of communication there. And you know, the fact that you've used the word um suicide means that well who will they come to in the future if they ever if they ever think oh I'm not feeling great but I know you know Sam could is okay with this conversation because a lot of people feel that nobody can meet them in their pain. Mm. And so you know it's about sh- showing that you you are you are there and you can meet them in their pain and if they do open up thank them thank them for being open and sharing yeah. and um and and not not suddenly uh bring your stuff to the table it's really key to listen because listening is a very powerful intervention when we're looking at suicide
1: mm. I mean, a lot of people will. It's interesting that that you say, you know, ask them directly, use the word. You're right. I can't imagine. I mean, I've been asked. It's a question I've been asked before, and in every occasion, I wasn't feeling remotely suicidal. And, and when you say that, I mean, yeah, I never once took offence at that. I might have opened up something to tell them that I was feeling very low, depressed, anxious, whatever it was. And so for them to then say, "Have you had suicidal thoughts?" didn't seem it didn't seem outrageous or peculiar. It certainly didn't seem offensive. Um, yeah. What you know? How might what what if you're concerned that people might who are feeling suicidal might respond with hostility to to you as if you've accused them of something? Is that common? Is that something that because I'm I'm imagining that's something that might kind of make you nervous about addressing them so directly.
2: I think people are nervous about addressing people directly, um, but I think the key is. Is to know that you're coming from a caring place. You're understanding your intentions, um, and and you know, and and it, it's very important to have very clear, direct, compassionate, and kind communication. So you know, instead of just saying, "Oh, you're not thinking of doing that thing, are you?" You know, mm-hmm. I think you know. You are not, you know that is not clear or direct. What What are you talking about? What What is that thing? And also, if you're if you're not using the word suicide, then you're adding to the the perceived stigma and taboo around it.
1: Mm. Mm. You know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. I think that's really interesting. Um, so Melissa, it's been fascinating talking to you. I just want to ask you before I let you go about, you know, what's it like doing what you do for a living you know uh, uh, is is it something that you really enjoy what do you get out of it I'm just interested in, in you know what the life of someone who's a therapist who spends a lot of their time listening to other people's problems what what is that life like for you
2: it's a privilege it really is I mean we're all I'm no there's no hierarchy I am no just because I'm trained or I've got various qualifications under my belt. I'm no different to the person I'm looking at. So I'm learning as much as they are. You know, there's no difference. Um, We're all the same. We're all equal. The only difference with me is, you know, I I have an ability to facilitate healings on a very deep and transformative level. Um, But, you know what a privilege to be able for someone to allow me into their life to to help them through that and and to be on that journey with them so so to me i feel that you know we all people always wonder you know what's my purpose what is my purpose here all of our purposes exactly the same as simply to help people so if i'm doing that on some level then then i'm happy
1: that's a beautiful sentiment and that, okay, one last question then how can the rest of us, because I totally agree with you and it's a, a beautiful thing for you to say. How can the rest of us who aren't doing it, you know, as our day job, that, in that in even small ways day to day. Can we all play a part in helping others no matter what our life's like?
2: Do you know what? You know, I'm um, tuning forks. Yeah. Yeah. And so imagine you've got a room full of tuning forks and you hit one of them. Yeah. So it starts. Uh, vibrating and you place it in that room with all the tuning forks Mm. all the other tuning forks in that room will tune exactly to the same vibration and that's that is how powerful we all are so even if you go out and you go to the co-op or sainsbury's and you smile at somebody that smile has energy and that is all you need to do to make it to make that to
1: pass on the light, basically. That is amazing, Melissa. It's a it's a privilege speaking to you. I've learned a huge I've I've learned a huge amount and um and and some very practical stuff actually that I hope that will be enacted by the listeners. But also just fascinating listening to all of your insights. Thank you ever so much for joining uh, us on the reset. And you know, um, I wish you all the best with the men's retreat next year it sounds wonderful i might even show my face you never know i'd
2: love for you to come <laughs>
1: <laughs> melissa thank you very much
2: you're so welcome thank you so much for having me
1: that was melissa day i hope you found listening to our chat useful and interesting if you want to find out more about her work then go to the website niroshini that's n-i-r oshini acupuncturecom If you're not already a subscriber to The Reset, then why not sign up now at sandelaney.substack.com. If you upgrade to paid for just pound twenty-five a week, you get this podcast emailed to you free every week without ads. You get access to my full archive of newsletters, articles and podcasts and other benefits like live streams and exclusive invites to live events. Anyway, that's it for now, gang. Thanks for listening. Be lucky and don't let the dickheads get you down.
0: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino
1: from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?